certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Today, the trial of the century travelled to China, but not without some technical problems getting there. Natalie Bonjola and Tim Clark with you for day 67 of Claremont in Conversation. And Tim, today's evidence really took us to places uh, no one would have expected when this trial first got underway. And I guess if you are a car buff, this would have been fascinating stuff. Yeah, that's that's right, Nat. Um, you would have had to have been a car buff, though, to be fascinated i have to say there are days some days in in this trial and in court reporting in general that are very dramatic this probably wasn't one of those days um you you would have had to have a pretty niche interest to um to to have it grip you all day but um as we've said before there are some days that you just need to get through to um to to get to the end point and that was one of those but uh, as you say we did travel to china and this afternoon, we travelled to Victoria um, across the Nullarbor. Um, and then uh, right at the late of the day, we went um, right back to, to cold case detectives. So um, it was it was a travel day. Um, and yeah, it was uh, it was it was a day that was mostly made up with continuity evidence. But we also did have some um, very uh, specific detail about um fibers and fabrics and makes and models of cars and i can also now uh exclusively real that i'm an expert in vin numbers and so if anyone needs their 17 digit vin number um uh, translated i can now do it for you well damien if you're listening uh tim now has all of the information that you were asking him yesterday so what were the issues um with the china video link well, I mean, you could probably imagine uh, it's a long way to go, and in the current climate, probably a lot going on in between here and there. So, um, yeah, for the first sort of twenty or so minutes, there were some uh, sound issues, some technical issues, and in the end, Justice Hall said, "Look, I'm going to leave the court and let you uh, try and fix it." Uh, it didn't take too long to fix, um, thank thankfully. Um, so they they were uh, they were all done, and they're not uh, they're not uncommon. They're not uncommon in in, in video links, even to um, distant parts of Western Australia, let, let alone distant yeah. parts of the planet. Um, but once we got going, um, the uh, the witness was uh, we could hear him uh, hear him loud and clear. Um, and uh, yeah, and as I say, this was a chap called Craig Porritt, um, who has worked for uh, General Motors, um, uh, the derivative, obviously the international derivative of Holden for many many years. Um, and one of his uh, roles um, at Holden. Um, was um, the interiors, um, seats, seat covers, fabrics, fabric design, um, uh, seat belts, and all that, all that type of interior stuff that uh, um, that the uh, that you probably look at more um, if you're not a car buff like me than you do the engine. Um, but and Mr. Porritt was was well across this as well as being well across. The, uh, the VIN numbers that I've made light of, but obviously in this case they're quite important because uh, the VIN number of that car um, that we discussed yesterday confirmed it was the same car that Mr Edwards was driving um, all those years ago. So Mr Porritt's evidence um, was was twofold. It was it was one confirming that that VIN number um, synced up with the the style of car it was. This Holden Commodore 
VS Series 1 station wagon. Um, but then the, the bulk of it was in terms of um, the uh, the seats and the fabric um, and the seat covers inside that car and basically how exclusive those um, designs and fabrics and polyester um, stylings were to this particular model. And so were these um, seat inserts and, and the cover, covers and the colours, were they specific to this particular station wagon that we're talking about, the Holden VS Series 1? Yes, they were. And they were, it was a particular pattern um, that um, of, of fabric that um, part of the questioning went to. I'll try and describe it, but as I said to the listeners, we did manage to secure some pictures from the court yesterday, which show this a lot better than I'll be able to describe it. But the front seats, they had bolsters down the side, which were of a plain pattern, and then the inserts in the middle were a more um, particular coloured pattern with some um, diagonal crosses on them. And that, um, that it's that insert that is going to become important because it's one of those fibres that was said to have been found on Kira. Then there's the cabin carpet and the carpet itself in the front of the car, um, the, basically where you place your feet and where the, the, the pedals are. Um, that's also important because um, fabric from that was found allegedly found on both um, Jane and Kira. And then there's a different carpet again in the boot of the car or the station wagon in this case. I mean, that was a different carpet and a different fibre to the front um, carpet and to the in-seat insert. And again, that's um, that fibre or one of those fibres from that carpet is said to have been only found in Jane's hair. Um, so Mr. Porritt was questioned quite extensively about the exclusivity particularly of that insert pattern um, and he said that um, the the light gray coloring was only available in that vs series one um, model um, and it was um, specifically made for holden so it was only in that holden car as well and an on sale that they did to toyota um, which was basically the same car but rebadged um, so it couldn't have been that um, a roll of that or, you know, or 500 rolls of that um, particular pattern was sold on and used in other cars because he said that didn't happen. So, uh, as I say, it, it, it wasn't particularly interesting evidence, but it, I suppose you could say it is important evidence because someone so senior at Holden saying that that fabric could only be found in uh, that car, it narrows it right down to the possibilities of where those fibres could have come from. Yeah. Well, our producer, Kate Ryan, has uh, sent a couple of questions to Brendan Chapman about this, and she asked him how hard is it to try and prove exactly where a fibre came from? And he's mm. come back to us and said this, it's one thing to say two fibres match, it's another to determine how it got there. Like mm. DNA, we can say DNA at a scene matches a person, but we can't say categorically how it got there. So obviously that's interesting and um, we know what the prosecution will say in terms of how it got there. Yeah, and they're going to stack up the coincidences as well, Matt. I mean, because this isn't just one fibre because we've got the blue fibres as well. And later on ne next week and then after Easter break, we're going to hear about those blue fibres, which could only have come from the Telstra work sorts, so say the prosecution. So then you've got all these um, different 
coincidences lined up. The fact that the, the, these fibres could have only been found in this um, car, the fact that there are three different fibres from in, within the same car and they're all found to get together on, on Kira and Jane, then you've got the blue fibres that were also found on Kira and Jane and found on the victim from the Karakata um, uh, incident in 1995. And the fact that Mr. Edwards not only drove that car um, in the time period that Jane and uh, Kira went missing and were murdered, but um, the, the fibre was also um, exclusive to Telstra um, workwear. Um, and obviously, he was a very long-serving Telstra employee. So they will line all those things up and say, well, what are the chances? What are the chances? And, and we've said that phrase quite a few times as well. Yeah, that's right. We um, we asked him also a question about the fibre in the car and, and said, you know, in this case that the prosecution is trying to prove that the fibre could only come from the specific make and model, but of course mm. there would be hundreds of um, people driving that car around in the 90s and he said that a fibre from a particular make model of car is what we call a class characteristic, meaning it can narrow down the scope of donor vehicles but not individualise like DNA can. It's a bit like blood typing where we say a B positive narrows down the population but again doesn't point to an individual. So, I mean, that's all interesting to weigh up in the... Um, in the evidence that's being brought forward. Was Mr Porritt asked to look at the pictures of Bradley Edwards' old car that you were shown yesterday? He, he was, um, to confirm that what he said about um, the, the pattern, um, the particular night and pattern um, that he described, he was asked to look at a picture um, to, to, to say, is that the pattern that you remember? Um, and he confirmed that. And just going briefly back to what, Brendan said there, Mr. Porritt was also asked about literally how ma how many um, cars of this type with this um, material um, were in Australia at the time, um, and he came up with a number of um, six thousand eight hundred. That's in, in in Western Australia over that time, but then uh, the prosecutors took him to um, a a string of VIN numbers. Um, about 20 or so um, that he was asked to um, decode because um, he, he was certainly an expert in that as well. Um, and um, he went through them all um, and there was only there was only one of those VIN numbers that they, they, that they couldn't um, pinpoint um, in particular. So again, this was a narrowing down exercise. This was... Um, the, the, you know, the the magnifying glass on the ant, if you if you, if you see what I mean, the, the 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 really pinpointing in to say, well, what again? What are the chances of this man with this uh, criminal history, um, uh, with a fibre that was, you know, exclusive or almost exclusive to him, found on that living victim, then? Um, these fibres from this particular type and make and model and year of car being found both on Kira and Jane. Yes, so there are only so many coincidences until they're not a coincidence anymore. <laughs> well, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and that's exactly what the prosecutors are going to say, along with the DNA on Kira and all that Telstra living witness um, that we mentioned yesterday, the, the Telstra, literally the ghost Telstra logo. 
on the car and everything else that we've uh, we, that we've heard about um including um the the emotional upset um timeline you know that that, that uh, we've talked about a jigsaw a lot but we are now really getting to the final pieces of this jigsaw being put together the prosecution hope now whether the defense when it gets his t its turn is going to uh, be able to take a few of those corner pieces off um well that that's that, that that's that's really what, what we'll have to wait and see yeah and so you went from holden cars to outdoor fabric makers so again mm. you know I, I just found it extraordinary <laughs> just how far they are going with these witnesses this was so out of the box as well yeah um so this was the company or mr antonio leno was the sales and marketing um, person that used to work for the company that made the fabric for Holden. So um, we take it one step further. Um, and Mr. Leno explained that um, the, the the company used uh, called Melba um, uh, used to make um, fabrics for every um, automotive manufacturer in Australia at the time, which was um, five. We're, we're, we're sadly down to uh, five less than that now. Um, and of, of course, Holden was one of them. Um, and it was Melbourne, his company, that that um, used to supply the fabrics that went on the seats and on the doors and on the roof and um, everywhere else in the car. Um, and so he was um, asked... Um, about the development of this particular um, pattern and color um, for Holden, um, how that was done, how that how that design was was done, and most crucially, I suppose, who it was um, supplied to. Um, and as I mentioned before, he was specifically asked whether, um, when this fabric was 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 made and sold, whether there was any um, leftovers where else that would be sold to and he said yes it was sold on sold but not um to another car manufacturer um ah. so the, the the upshot of that is again look this this fabric um, and this particular pattern of fabric and this particular fiber could only be found in this make and model of car at that at that time in australia and did he talk about what kind of fabric it was? I mean, are we talking about rayon or, you know, polyester or anything like that? Um, generally speaking, um, yes, he, he, he did. Um, but we are going to get into the real um, nuts and bolts of the differences between polyester and polypylene and rayon and all that um, type of thing. Probably after Easter now, we, 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 we got a little um, uh, mud map um, from Miss Barbara Gala right at the end of the day of of where we currently sit, um, and it would appear that the the, the real important chem centre um, witnesses and um, they're the ones that are going to literally show the microscopic slides um, comparing the fibres that were found on the girls to the fibres that were found in this car and on those pants and things. We're going to get to those um, after the Easter break. So that that's that that's where we're that's where we're headed to, um, but. Um, you know, um, one step at a time in this yeah. very long journey. <laughs> and these yeah. were uh, these were these were a couple of um, little steps today. Um, Mr. Jovic, during cross examination, it was interesting because he asked um, Antonio about whether the seat insert had grey polyester fibres. And it was interesting because Mr. Antonio sort of didn't really know where he was going with that, did he? 
No, no, that that's right. And and sometimes prosecution witnesses are, are very well prepared by the prosecution. They have proofing um, sessions and they have their statement that they've already done and they, they have pre-trial conferences. So they know roughly where they're going in terms of when the prosecution evidence comes up. But the defence, they can ask them, I mean, within reason, pretty much anything. And and, and sometimes a, a witness, um, obviously, as expert and as in, in particular subjects as, as these two guys were today, um, they do get, sometimes they just get completely thrown by by a question because maybe they don't understand the reason for it and where, where it's it's coming from. I mean, I think we would probably understand that that line of questioning for Mr. Jovic yes. um, could be going towards um, a discrediting of of the evidence to come if you see what i mean and, yes. the, and if, the, if the expert doesn't know well, what was the difference between you know a polyester and a polypropylene then um then you know what what difference does it make but um it, it as we've said all, all the way along it's just just trying to find a little chink in the armor somewhere that um that, that he that he can use um later on when when the more um central witnesses to this portion of the trial come up and the final witness, which uh, I don't think was very long, was it, was um, Senior Constable Evan, and you'll have to pronounce his last name for me. Uh, Damianopoulos, Damian I think Opolis. it was. Mm. Yes, so he was a former macro detective um, or, col- or special crime squad detective that, that did work on macro for a, for a, a period of time. Uh, and again, he was a continuity witness um, purely to do with the, the shorts from the Karakata rape victim on a couple of occasions. Um, he was asked to move them from one place to another um, and also to separate them out in terms of um, how they were stored. So um, the detective explained that when they did a cold case review of the Karakata um, rape in, in, in 2018, they, they were, again, um, overseeing and overlooking exactly what exhibits they had and where they were and how they were stored um, and at one point he he basically took these shorts out of the packaging that they were in and placed them in another secure envelope individually on their own um, and he was asked about how he did that and why he did that um, and again that is basically to t- tick off someone else that has been um, uh, physically in touch or, or close to this pair of shorts because again as we've said there were there are two fibers that are on there that that could become very very important um at, at the end of the day and so the prosecution and the defense want to um cover all their bases in terms of anyone who's come into contact um and, and would have a possibility of uh, of of maybe um contaminating them yes um, we have a quick question before we go from Chris regarding the car. Uh, was there mention, and I haven't heard about this, but you may have, Tim, was there mention of how the seizure affected the innocent owner of the car in Chidlow? Was he compensated for the loss and was he able to retrieve personal belongings from it, given it that was sealed up and taken away? Yeah, it is a good question. And we, we sometimes forget, don't we, the, the, the sort of personal impacts that these the, these issues can raise. Um, so the officer that, 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 that seized the car a couple of days ago, um, he gave evidence and he did say that before it was towed away, um, anything personal um, belonging to the gentleman who, who had owned the car for, for several years, actually, he was allowed to take those items out. 
Um, even though actually when we saw some of the photos yesterday, there are a few uh, loose rogue tennis balls in the bottom of that car that I don't think would have been there since 1996. So maybe maybe he didn't see them under a seat or maybe he just uh, uh, didn't think they were worth keeping. But either way, compensation, I'm not sure. But as a general rule, if you lose something of 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 significant value and uh, as old as this car was it was uh, uh, quite an important part of this gentleman's gardening business um, because the decal of that business was on the car so he was obviously using it for for um for work i think as a general rule police will um compensate you um for any loss and uh, this car was basically dismantled down to the shell so uh, i doubt very much whether they would have put it back together again and given it back given the possible importance to the very very important case that we're dealing with so look i don't know for sure but i'm pretty sure that police would have compensated him um up to a certain point um and the and the value um of that car and uh whether he's uh, i know a colleague of mine did actually try and interview him at the time it was taken away and he said he was absolutely stunned um, that the car that he'd been driving for about 10 years as i understand it um, was suddenly of such importance yes. to the macro task force you can only you can only imagine what he might have thought as he saw it driving away yeah. on the back of that flatbed truck and you imagine, though, at the same time that he would want to assist police in any way possible, um, given what the circumstances were. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't want to be the man that no. said, no, you can't have the car that could uh, could crack open the Claremont case. That's right. Do you know what's happening to, in court tomorrow? Nothing that. We're going to have a day off tomorrow. So um, they, they've, they've reached the end of their witnesses for this week. Um, so we um, we come back on Monday, um, and as I said, Miss Barbagallo did give us a, a quick um, mud map of what's to come. So um, there's uh, there's a few um, more continuity witnesses, um, fabric type witnesses, mm-hmm. if I can put it that way, next week. There'll also be a lot of statements read in next week. So these are the statements that have been agreed by both parties that. Um, are important enough for the judge to hear, but not important enough for the live witness to have to come to court. Um, then we have the Easter break, so Good Friday and Easter Monday. We won't sit then. Um, and then we have about um, 10 or 11 witnesses in total left um, in the prosecution case, and they will include the um, the Chem Centre witnesses, the, um, the expert, so that's Dr Palmer, who comes from the UK. Um, and then um, we'll, we'll be getting towards the end of the prosecution case, um, which is when we, we understand that we will... Um, finally get to see what Mr Edwards um, has had to say um, after he was arrested in 2016 because his video interview was obviously videotaped and that will be played in court and um, I'm pretty sure the numbers as much as they can do um, in in the public gallery might bulk up a little bit um, because that will be the first time we'll ever have heard anything publicly uttered by Mr Edwards about the charges against him. And they may even have to bring in some extra measures surrounding social distancing because, as we know, so many people are waiting for that time. And you can imagine hundreds of people potentially turning up at court uh, in the hope of getting a seat to watch that video interview. Yeah, um, and I'm sure Justice Hall has thought, I mean, he certainly thought about the, the, the climate and the environment that we're in at the moment. 
Um, there are the, the, uh, even yesterday there were slightly stricter measures brought in uh, in the district court building. So now it is up to each individual judge um, who they let into the court for any um, um, in-person hearing. Um, be that um, there's no jury trials going on, but be that a judge alone trial or a sentencing hearing. So if the judge does not want to let people in. Um, that individual judge, they they are they don't have to, and and they won't in this current climate. But there's a caveat on that um, at the bottom of the notice that was posted on the district court building today to say that public are still allowed in, but it is up to Justice Hall how many and who he allows into the court. So um, I'm sure he'll have a think about that because, as I say, I'm pretty sure the public interest will um, ramp up quite significantly. Um, when that video of the interview is um, is due to be uh, is due to be played, yes, it'll be very interesting to see how they manage that going forward. So, as Tim mentioned, court won't be sitting tomorrow. Uh, that's Friday, the third of April, which coincidentally is the date that Kira Glennon's body was discovered uh, in the northern suburbs. So, Tim, I imagine that is probably a very tough day for the Glennons tomorrow. I, 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 you'd absolutely say it would be, um, even after all these years, um, uh, that day, uh, as we discussed, um, uh, you know, went on the, on the uh, bonus episode we did a few weeks ago, um, on the anniversary of Kira's disappearance, when we heard, um, Mrs. Glenn and Una Glennon talking about that day and, and the, the things she wrote about that day, um, it, there's no possible way it, that date would ever leave you. Um, and so um, you can only hope um, that the Glennons um, have some peace tomorrow. At least they won't have to uh, worry about what's being said in court. Um, and uh, obviously um, all our thoughts um, will be with them um, as they pretty much have been every day since this trial began. That's right. And one of the listeners has very kindly offered to donate um, Una's book because he's read it and thought someone else might like to read it too, which is lovely. So if you would like to get in touch with us, uh, then we may be able to put you in touch with him. So just email us at Podcast at wanews.com.au. So that's um, a gift being passed forward from Toby Gibb. So thank you, Toby. We will um, let you know if anyone would like to borrow the copy of that book and pass it on to someone else. Well, that wraps up week 16 of the trial. We'll be back Monday for day 68 of Claremont in Conversation. Until then, stay safe. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.